Thank you, Terry. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. If you're coming back or if you're new, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. Wherever you're coming from, uh, wherever you are in your journey right now with the Lord, we're so glad you're here and we believe God has something good for you this morning. Um, don't miss communion. Communion is set out throughout the sanctuary. Take that time to remember the body and blood of Jesus that was shed just for you if you were the only one. God's attention is on you this morning. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And uh, he, yeah, he, he's, his thoughts for you are more than the sand and the sea. So let's uh, begin the service by reading just a couple verses from Psalm 102. If you're able, stand with me and we'll read together. Psalm 102, hear my prayer, O Lord, O Yahweh, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, this rainy morning in Southern California. We thank you that you're here. You're present. You're a very present help in time of trouble. God, this life is all about you, Lord. Just renew our perspective this morning. Renew our joy, renew our strength. We come to you, you're the source of our life, God. So we just look to you, let us worship you now. Let us receive your grace, receive your love. Lord, bless this community, bless the fellowship we have with each other. As we worship you now, we just invite you in. In your name we pray, amen. Turn around, say hello to someone and we'll get into our worship time.
Amen. Father, we pray that those words would be truth that you would speak this morning. Help us to continue in an attitude of worship, Lord, as Richard shares the gifts that you've given him. May we all be drawn closer to you, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's welcome our friend, Richard Andrew. Bye. 
In his name and unafraid I call to thee Let heaven come down And let your spirit pour out We want to see your kingdom come We want to see your will be done we are forgiven and free and we will overcome Somebody stand and testify Lift up his name on high We are forgiven and free and we will overcome We will overcome Scattered here a thousand fears Sweep them away Tell me it's alright Tell me it's okay Unashamed and without blame I'll sing your song To sing along, we want to see your kingdom come, we want to see your will be done, we are forgiven and free and we will overcome, somebody stand and testify, lift up his name. Forgiven and free And we will overcome We will overcome Lord, We are forgiven and free We are forgiven and free We are forgiven and free And we will overcome Somebody needed to hear that today We are forgiven and free We are forgiven and free we are forgiven and free and we will overcome we want to see your kingdom come we want to see your will be done we are forgiven
stand and testify Lift up his name on high We are forgiven and free We will overcome We are forgiven and free We will overcome Addiction, depression and fear Forgotten, abandoned in tears You are forgiven and free And you will overcome Selfishness, anger and pride Lonely and broken inside You are forgiven and free Overcome, yes. You are forgiven and free, and you will overcome. God bless you all. Yes, Lord. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Thank you so much, Richard. Richard Andrew, everybody. Look up his stuff. He has awesome prison ministry and ministry to NASCAR and all kinds of things. Thank you so much, brother. So uh, we're gonna watch our announcement video now. You guys got the announcement video ready? Warning. The following bit contains talk about married couples. We are not a married couple, nor looking to be a married couple. Because honestly, I heard marriage is hard. Can't believe we just got married. Yes, but where's where's my ring? Uh, that, that's on Layla. Man, I always don't get my. We're gonna be the perfect married couple. We're never gonna fight. We're gonna be so Together great. Together forever. Should we check out the married couples Bible study? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah, I think we should. Maybe we'll meet a married couple there because we don't have any married friends. Hope the food is uh, good. It's Tuesday nights at six thirty, so we're off at work by then. It'll be fine. Sure. You wanna go? Uh, um, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you say. Were you even paying attention to anything I just said? Uh, of course, always. What day did I say the married couple's Bible study was? Uh, uh, you said Wednesday, Wednesday. What time did I say? 8 a.m., 8 a.m., 8 a.m. I said Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. You don't listen to a word I say! But are, are, we, are we still gonna get ice cream? Please? I, w I want a vanilla. Hey guys, did you know Packing House Christian Academy started enrollment for ages junior K to 12th grade? If you would like to apply, come to the school office or apply online at packinghouseacademy.org. Hey, guess what? Packing House Fun Facts! Hey, did you know that this is where we used to hold all of our church services? And that this used to be a citrus packing house? Oh, that explains the truck in the lobby. Yeah, but now it's where Packing House Christian Academy takes place. They have chapel right there, there's classrooms and lockers. Like we were just talking about, open enrollment. All right, thank you, announcement team. That was amazing. Uh, junior high and high school, you guys are free to go meet your teachers in the lobby and 
parents, you can pick them up in the lobby after service. Um, if the Lord's leading you to give, the offering boxes are in the back here in the lobby and online. Hi to you guys online. Uh, we're going to go to prayer now and just take a few moments before the Bible study just to get all that burden off your back. Jesus wants to take it. He says, throw it on me. So just give it to him this morning and uh, prepare your heart. Give him space for the Bible study. So let's do that just for a few moments. And then Angel Jimenez, if you come up and close, that'd be great. Heavenly Father, Lord, today we come with our burdens. Today we come with our troubles, Lord. Lord, we leave them here at the altar. We ask you, Lord, that you minister through Pastor Ed today, that you speak to us, that you give us your word, Lord. Also, I'd like to lift up all the pastors of this church, Lord, especially Pastor Ed's family. The trials and tribulations that they are going through at this time are unbelievable, Lord. We know that your strength and your mercy and your grace are going to shower upon their family, Lord. So we just ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed by saying, amen. Thanks, thanks Angel, and thanks, Terry. That was beautiful. If you wouldn't mind standing, we're working our way through Scripture verse by verse. We're in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 18. Peter has just escaped from prison by an angel, and we break into the story there. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small still among, sir, excuse me, stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aide, love his name, Blastus, they made him their friends by paying him. They bribed him. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. On a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. The people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not a man. Uh-oh. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Mm, there's a picture. But the word of God grew. In spite of all this persecution, the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they also took with him John, whose surname was Mark. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you that you have left this account for us, that you want us to glean from it understandings for our own life, how to apply it into our own lives. So send your Holy Spirit to teach us now. We want you to change us, Lord. We want to leave this place differently 
than the way we came in. We ask that in Jesus' name, and all of God's children agreed by saying, Amen. You may be seated, please. I love the uh, kid's story about the proud woodpecker who was uh, going around the forest, found a big old dead pine tree and started pecking away at it, pulling out all the tasty things that woodpeckers go after. Didn't notice that it started to get cloudy and rain. There was lightning and thunder. As the thunder rolled, all of a sudden lightning began to strike. And the woodpecker just ignores it all and keeps pecking away. He's hungry and he's focused on the tree. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt hits the tree and explodes it into hundreds of toothpick-sized pieces of wood. He wasn't hurt, though. And so he's flying around, and as he looks at the tree, he looks at all his feathered friends, and he said, wow, look what I did. (laughs) The story reminds us all of how vulnerable we are to pride taking credit for something we didn't do. And this is kind of the consummate story in the New Testament of pride before a fall. We all know that Proverbs. So if you're just joining us, welcome. Let me try and bring you up to speed. The book of Acts is about the history of the early church. And we'll do a 30,000-foot flyover here in a moment. And in chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples, stay here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, then take the gospel to Judea and Jerusalem, all around the city of Jerusalem, and then go to Samaria, and then the third to the uttermost parts of the earth, all the way out. And that is really a a table of contents for the book of Acts. The first seven chapters are about the gospel going to the area around Jerusalem and Judea. And then 8 through 12, where we are this morning, is the area that's uh, a little further out. And then we'll see, starting in chapter 13, the uttermost parts of the earth, all the way into Europe and ultimately we're all the products of Paul taking the gospel to the known world. So we're at this point where we're two-thirds of the way finished with the book of Acts. And the rest of it will be about persecution coming, but at the same time, the word of God, notice that verse 24 that we kind of paused on, that the word of God would continue to spread and multiply. So that's where we're going. To get us into the details of it, uh, there was this uh, arrest of Peter after James had been arrested. Now, we've got to have a little background on Herod if you're just joining us, and I'll give you the, the thumbnail sketch of him. So this is uh, it's a little confusing because there are five Herods in the New Testament. This one is the grandson of Herod the Great that built all the cool stuff in Israel, Masada, the Temple Mount, etc. But he was a, uh, a paranoid guy, and he had a bad habit of killing all his relatives. <laughs> and so uh, when this young man was born in 10 B.C., his mother sent him to Rome to be trained. Good 
thing because the very next year, Herod killed her, his daughter-in-law, and his son, and a whole bunch of other relatives. So if he didn't like to have relatives around, I guess. We'll just leave it at that. So there's this uh, problem in Herod. This, this Herod is called Herod Agrippa I. So he is uh, the one that will uh, be around for the next section of the really the first major part of the book, or this third major part of the book of Acts. So he is uh, trying to win the people. He is... Uh, part Jew and part Gentile. And he's trying to win his subjects, which are all Jews, uh, to his side. And so there's this cult in his mind called Christianity. And uh, so he saw that the Jews were excited that Saul the apostle had persecuted a lot of Christians. So he had two of the apostles arrested, James and Peter. James, he had killed by the sword. Actually, according to Eusebius, the early church historian, he's cut in half, top to bottom, head. You got it. And uh, brutal, just brutal. And then we saw last week that Peter gets sprung from the prison jail by an angel. And that's where we're breaking into the story. He's been set free and Herod comes to look for his prisoner because he's going to use him to win more of his subjects to follow him. Well, as you just heard as we read it, it, uh, it didn't work out that way. So Herod is uh, frustrated when he arrives here. This section breaks up into three parts, 18 and 19, dying guards, then dying pride. <laughs> I guess you could call that Herod middle name, and then the growing word of God, 24 through 25. So that's where we're going, fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Verse 18. Now, as soon as it was day, daylight, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. So you'll remember it says that the angel appeared in the cell with Peter, in the prison cell, and he made the chains just fall off Peter, which means they were still attached to the two guards on either side. We were also told that there were 16 guards that were rotating and watching him. So there's another 14 outside. So they're all upset because there's this code in Rome. It was called the Justinian Code. It's really the law, uh, the, the constitution, if you will, of Rome. And it was pretty brutal. And so they're really upset because Herod is going to be furious that his prized prisoner has gotten away. Verse 19, but when Herod had searched for him and not found him, evidently searchers around the jail worried that he was just hiding there or something, he examined the guards and commanded that, boom, they should be put to death. So you kind of get a little picture of... Uh, the mercy of Herod, or the lack of it. And he went down from Judea, the area around Jerusalem, down to Caesarea, which is on the coast. So Jerusalem's about 2,000, 2,500 feet above sea level, but the Roman legions were all stationed 
in this city called Caesarea. So he had uh, examined the guards. They told him, well, uh, we don't know what happened. All of a sudden, the guy's gone. It was a miracle. Well, <laughs> you know, Herod was not the miracle-believing kind of guy. He's a very practical guy. You know, uh, we can be sure that the idea of a supernatural event had never, ever entered his mind for longer than a nanosecond. He's got no faith whatsoever because he knew if you allow for the miraculous that God intervenes in the affairs of humans, that God busts into your life when you pray, as we talked about last time. Prayer changes things because God is active. And Herod didn't want to even consider that possibility because that would mean God would have to be answered to. And that would leave him with requiring humility, which was the last thing on his list of gifts. He had none. It would require submission. It would require asking for forgiveness. That would be just too much for a guy like Herod who was scratching to get his way to the top and now to hold on to it. So too much responsibility it would be too embarrassing and too inconvenient for him. That might be a picture of most people who refuse to let God into their lives. You know, it would be just requiring he's going to stand before God we all will. It would require humbling ourselves. Nobody likes that. It would require all of us to submit to God's desires for our lives. Well, wait a minute. I'm an American. I have rights. I want to do it my way. It would require us to ask God to forgive us, that we would recognize that sin Every one of them are ultimately against God. And that would make us accountable to God. It would require us taking responsibility. It would be a little bit embarrassing to admit how bad you've really fallen off the path. And it's definitely inconvenient. So, there it is. That's why Herod's having problems. You ever heard that before? <laughs> you ever thought those things yourself before? I have. You see, I was an atheist till I was 26 years old. And I had enough science background to defend it. And I didn't believe that there was a God. But when you really drilled down in my life, it was because of the same reasons. If there was a God, and he was ethical and moral, then I would have to answer to him someday. So I had built up this large weaponry of anti-Christian, anti-God, pro-atheism ideas. Some of you are probably here this morning in that condition. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there are a number of you that you're here because you're curious, or, or worse, your wife made you come. I know that because that's how I got to church the first time. My wife pushed me into it. She's not very tall, but wow. 
She's a horsewoman, and you don't mess with horsewomen. So maybe you're here this morning thinking, well, so far, Pastor, I identify more with Herod than anything else. So Herod is a man of action, and he applies Roman law. These guys were required to have the same sentence that would have happened to whatever the prisoner was facing. The prisoner was facing death, so 16 guards are killed on the spot. And then it says he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. So he's gone down in the middle of summer. We know it's August of 44 AD. And he ends up at this beautiful spot called Caesarea by the sea. So basically, Herod was angry, furious, and he went to the beach for the summer. He went surfing. So that is uh, obviously a flyover of the harbor that Herod the Great, his grandfather, had made. This uh, picture shows you a shot of the, the, well, it's actually the amphitheater in the background, and that's where Herod, there's a closer shot, that's where Herod, in our story, gives his oration. It's right there. Now, I took this picture from Herod's palace. And this is a little side note. This is the way the Romans built underwater harbors. The Romans discovered in the first century that they could add to cement burnt limestone. They discovered it by accident. They took some of Mount Vesuvius's leftover ash, and they mixed it with concrete, and they found out that they could make a cement that would go off, that would harden underwater. And this is the oldest Roman cement we've ever found that was hydrolytic, that was made to go off underwater. Side note. Okay, so this is one of the tiles, marble tile, from Herod's palace, which looks over the Sea on one side, on the other side is this uh, beautiful amphitheater. This shot is to give you an idea, the entire palace was that way. Marble floors, and they've uncovered, he had a swimming pool built cleverly right at sea level. So whenever the tide went up, it'd spill over in to the swimming pool and gush out, and then when it would go back, he'd have fresh water. Didn't have any filters, you know, there wasn't any electricity then anyway, but it was a very clever swimming pool. Right next to it, it was built uh, right next to a hot spring. So he had a jacuzzi, and he had a swimming pool that was self-cleaning, and he had polished marble floors. Hanging out at the beach in Israel was kind of fun. So that's why he's down at Caesarea. And then the rest of our story takes place uh, about 200 yards from this palace. So it's all right in this general area. So if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, don't miss that opportunity. It will change you. It will change you for the rest of your life. Every time you read the Bible after that, now, I, I see some of you are here who have been to Israel with us. And so you know exactly what I'm talking about because we stood right there in that palace and we gave a Bible study there in that theater. So, oh, and by the way, we had uh, four people drop out 
who couldn't go here in the last uh, week or so. So if you're interested in going, uh, there's a number in your bulletin. That's my commercial announcement. Okay, so um, he went down from Judea to Caesarea, too hot in August to stay in Jerusalem anyway, and uh, he is enjoying the beach. 20. Now Herod had been very, very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now Tyre and Sidon are actually the ruins are still there today. They're just up the coast from Israel. They're Phoenician cities. Uh, the Phoenicians were traders. They uh, went all over the Mediterranean. Some think they even went all the way down uh, past the Cape of Good Hope and got into other parts of the world. Uh, but they were traders, but uh, this is the modern state of, uh, of Lebanon. There's almost no agriculture in Lebanon because there's all these mountains that come up almost from the, as soon as you come in from the shore. So um, it is, okay, one other, those of you that weren't here, uh, those of you that were, you'll remember there was a guy named Agabus who was a prophet, and he said, there is a famine coming to the world. And uh, it was the first mention of global warming in the Bible 2,000 years ago because they didn't get enough rain. But so the nation of Lebanon, or Tyre and Sidon, or the Phoenician nation, they're struggling because they don't have food, but they have a lot of goods. Israel has the Galilee region, which is up in the north around the Sea of Galilee, had lots of fresh water. It was warm, about 700 feet below sea level, so kind of like our Salton Sea. Uh, it was warm all the time around it, and if you go today, You'll see avocados and citrus and banana plants. It's very tropical. Uh, and so they had all this food. And so somehow they made Herod angry. And we don't know, secular history doesn't record either why it is that they're uh, having a struggle. But they came to him with one accord. They all gathered together. And having made Blastus, good old Blaster, uh, a friend, they evidently greased his palm, you know, they, they paid him off. That was a long time ago. That stuff's still going on. Hmm. But don't get me started. And they, uh, back up one more time, guys, to 20. They asked for peace because their country was supplied, there it is, with food by Herod's country. So Agrippa had been quarreling with them probably over prices, market, or something. And so they go to the treasurer or the king's chief of staff, this Blastus, and they bribe him, and he makes this opportunity for them to speak to Herod. Verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration in that theater that we just looked at. It was a, a feast in honor of Herod's patron, the Roman emperor Caligula, or Claudius at this time, it was soon to be Caligula, and he's arrayed in royal apparel. Now, what's fascinating to me about this particular event is that we have a secular historian, a Roman historian, who also describes it, Josephus, and uh, it's in his history and it says it happened in August of 44, 
And let me read it to you. After the completion of the third year of Herod's reign over the whole of Judea, Agrippa came to the city of Caesarea, where he celebrated spectacles in honor of Caesar. On the second day of the spectacles, clad in a garment woven completely of silver, so that its texture was indeed wondrous, his word, he entered the theater at daybreak, and just as the sun rays came up, it hit the garment, and the glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon it. Obviously, the historian is uh, flowery. So immediately, his flatterers raised their voices from every direction, addressing him as a god. May you be favorable. Bless us, they said to him. <laughs> and then they added, we agree that you are more than a mortal. And the king did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as profane. At once, he felt a stab of pain in his heart. He was also gripped in his stomach by an ache that he felt everywhere at once, and that was intense from the start, and he was overcome by more intense pain. They hastened therefore to convey him. They carried him to his palace, a couple of hundred yards away, and the word flashed about to everyone that he was on the very edge, <coughs> excuse me, edge of death. Exhausted, still reading this secular account, exhausted after five straight days by the pain in his abdomen, he departed this life in the 54th year of his life. Wow. Sure is quiet in here. So they made silver, they beat it into threads, and he's wearing this toga from head to toe that's made out of silver, and it's glittery. And... Uh, of course, it matches perfectly what we just read in the Bible, which is not surprising because the Word of God is reliable. So this site, Caesarea, until uh, 1968, um, everyone was comfortable in the world of atheism to say that Pontius Pilate didn't exist because he's not mentioned in Roman history. But then that summer, uh, a female archaeologist uncovered a stone that said Pontius Pilate, right carved in stone. And should you go to Israel and go to Caesarea, it's right there. You can go up and touch it. Actually, it's a perfect model of it. The original one is in the museum in downtown Jerusalem, and you can go up and touch it. So it... Uh, changed people's perception of the Bible, although there's plenty of atheists still around kicking and screaming that the Bible isn't reliable. But I mention that to you because, again, there's probably some people here this morning say, oh, great story, Pastor. It just didn't happen. Oh, yeah. So, verse 22, and the people kept shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. That was the right time to duck. He didn't, verse 23. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory, praise, weight to God. 
and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, not long ago, a, a biology graduate student from one of the local universities came to me, knew I was going to teach this, and he said, uh, this is impossible. It, it, it could not happen. You can't have a roundworm infestation enough to block your gut and then have it burst open. So I bring to you this morning Ascarsis, 18 inches long, just one of them, okay? And uh, they, uh, okay, you guys can turn that off because I really don't want anybody to lose their breakfast. <laughs> but you can see that was from a surgery suite and it was a ball, those were not french fries, <laughs> a ball of worms that had blocked that, that was a man, that man's intestine. So when the Bible says something happened, it happens. You can trust the Word of God. And uh, some of you don't feel very good right now. You want to go to lunch together and get some french fries later or something? <laughs> not so much, okay. And immediately, the angel struck him, eaten by words. Now, the word glory, he didn't give God glory is an important one. We've talked about it before, but let me remind you that it, it the kabod is the Hebrew word, and, uh, and it means the weight of something. To give God what's due him, how important he really is. And, and that happens a lot in our world. We're surrounded by people that don't believe in God, or they say they do, but they don't talk like it, right? And I was right there in the middle of it when I was an atheist. I, I do understand. But this concept leads to pride. If you don't have this understanding of there's a God that's holding us responsible in eternity someday, then you're arrogant, and you become prideful, and, and you say things like this. Now, the Old Testament word for pride, uh, there's several, but it carries with it the idea of being lofty, being lifted up over a crowd. But in the New Testament, the most common word for pride, hyperephranos, like in Mark 7, 22, means to shine above. And that's exactly what he was trying to do. He's trying to shine above every, to make yourself more visible than others. The second most often used word for pride in the New Testament is tufo, and it's in 1 Timothy 6, 4. It literally means to raise up smoke. Now, I love that, because I have lots of old friends that blow a lot of smoke. And, and I think that just fits perfectly, you know, this, this idea of wrapping yourself in something that looks pretty impressive, but there's nothing there except smoke. Pride is the feeling you have it all together, when indeed you do not. Pride leads to devastation and ruin. God promises, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is the sign of the times in which we live, 2 Timothy 3.1. But know this, that in the last days, and that's what Peter said on Pentecost, that we are in the last days, for 2,000 years, the last days, but we're in the last days. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, 
Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Well, good, that isn't happening anyway. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, of, of being religious, but denying its power. Well, miracles don't really happen. And from such people, turn away. God has pretty strong feelings about pride. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will not be given to another. The greatest reason God hates pride is because it keeps his children, you and I, from seeking him. We think we don't need him. Some. Ten, four. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in his thoughts. God knows that we need help, that we have a tendency towards being prideful of whatever small gift that we might have. It, it came from God. Any good thing comes down from the Father of lights, Paul wrote. If you have any talents at all, it's because God allowed you to have them. And you may think, well, I don't have any talents. Trust me, everyone has gifts from God. That's what he says. You might have to look for them. I have to think about it a little bit. You may not have discovered them yet, but they're there. And maybe it's just because you haven't yet given your life to the Lord so he can show you where your talent fits best in his kingdom. Sure is quiet in here. So, dying guards, dying pride, now growing word. I love this verse, 24. But, I love that word. I love that word in the Bible. The times were perilous, but God. That's exactly what's going on here. Herod is killing apostles, but the word of God grew. That's why we study the Bible here, because it's the word of God that goes into your heart. It brings faith, right? We've talked about that. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Just you sitting here, Listening to me read the words brings faith into your life. And we all need it, trust me, every one of us. So immerse yourself in it. If you like the result, spend more time in it. Wrap yourself in it. But the word of God grew, increased anyway, because God sits on a throne in heaven that is above everything and anything that men try and do. But pastor, the world is a mess. Agreed. But the world is being changed by the word of God. Well, not so much in California. I agree. But go to Africa. I've been there. Go to China. Go to Vietnam. Go to all the old Soviet bloc countries. Every one of them are experiencing revival. The church is growing at the fastest rates in China and in South America right now. Now, we might be struggling. We are struggling in our nation. 
but the Word of God is still growing. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's Jesus' promise. Well, the church is getting weak. The gates of hell will not prevail. The chapter ends with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God increasing. The chapter begins with James martyred, Peter in prison, and Herod's influence increasing. A complete reversal because God is ruling in the affairs of human beings. Someone said the Bible has survived both the ignorance of its friends and the hatred of its enemies. Whew, painful. Last verse. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname is Mark. There's a lot in here. You remember, if you were with us, Barnabas and Saul had gone up to northern Syria, right on the border between Syria and what's Turkey today, in the city of Antioch. And Antioch was destined to become the center of Christianity for almost 400 years. The largest churches in the world were built in the city of Antioch. So that church got together and gave money when they heard that there was going to be this famine I mentioned down in Jerusalem, and they sent these two guys down, Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement, and Saul, who was destined to become Paul, the apostle, the writer of about a third of the New Testament. And they had gone to Jerusalem with this money. They were entrusted with this money. When they had given it at Jerusalem, they fulfilled their ministry, the service they were called to do, faithful men. Notice that God still uses people even though he intervenes with angels. He needs you to be involved in his kingdom. And they also took with them a guy named John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark. Now, John Mark is a very interesting young man. He's from a younger generation, so I speak to you who are younger here this morning. Identify with this young man, John Mark. He's going to make some mistakes as we follow him through the book of Acts. He's going to stumble and fall. In fact, Paul is going to become upset with him and send him home. But later he would come back and become very useful to Paul, and he would become the amicus, the secretary for Peter. And Peter would travel with this young man, John Mark, and tell him all the things that happened when Jesus walked the earth for three and a half years. And John Mark carefully wrote it all down, and we call it the Gospel of Mark. He comes from a mother who opened her home for Pentecost. The upper room where Pentecost came was his house. It's the same house, we believe, where the Last Supper took place with Jesus. And it's the same house we looked at last week in the first few verses of chapter 12, where, in fact, all the people were, the disciples were gathered together praying when Peter was released from prison and he tried to get in and they were so busy praying, they let him stand out in the cold for a while. So John Mark is a young man and he's going to make some mistakes. And I'm speaking mostly to the uh, generation that is here that's younger. Born after 1980, after 1920, or excuse me, 2020, 
then yeah, I guess you're officially called Generation Z and we're running out of letters. I don't know what we're going to do for the next one. But I'm not trying to get out of my responsibility to share the gospel, but I'm trying to gently put it especially on those of you who are younger because the torch needs to be passed to someone. And uh, those of us who are uh, more experienced in life <laughs> are uh, fading. But the Word of God grows, and He wants to grow in you. And John Mark is the person to identify with. One early church historian said John Mark was the young man that ran from the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. You can do a whole Bible study on this young man. It's very interesting. So let's go back and look at verse 24 and end with it. The Word of God grew. All of us are making a way through a stormy world. <laughs> Have you noticed? Ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, mankind has struggled to make wise decisions about an uncertain future. Uncertain only from the world's point of view. The only way to ensure that we don't go off the path is to have an objective source of truth. Hello? Are you listening? Not a subjective source of truth. Not you have your truth and I have my truth. No, no. Truth is an absolute. An objective source of truth. Like a compass. Like a sextant like an instrument that gives you the same response, the same number, if you will, in California as it does in New York, as it does in Kathmandu. So what is that compass? What is that sextant for sailors and then for pilots and now for astronauts? What is that instrument for just us common folk on planet Earth? Some of you are holding it in your lap. It's God's Word. And it is a light to our path, Psalm 119 says. And I keep going back to the light because I get off the path really easy. And I have to keep checking that resource, checking that compass daily. The Word of God changes us when we expose ourselves. That, that's why you're here. I'm, I'm speaking to the choir. You're, you've come because you want to hear God's Word, and you want to ponder it. You want to see if I sound like I'm blowing smoke. You want to think, uh, is this truth? This is truth. This is true truth. The Word of God grew and, and multiplied. The King James Version says prevailed. That's an important word. That the Word of God is going to prevail someday. Jesus will step down on the Mount of Olives and it will split in two. And by the way, seismic studies have shown that there is a fracture right through the center of the Mount of Olives. We're just waiting for the king to show up to touch down there. And it's going to break in half. And he's going to rule and reign. And the Jews are going to look at him and say, what is the meaning of the scars in your hands? And he's going to say to them, I received them in the house of a friend. And then all of Israel will weep because they will understand that they were complicit in the murder of the Messiah. But that's our joy
because he died for my sins. The punishment that I deserved, he took. And the same is true for you. You just must let him apply it to your life. Well, how so, pastor? You ask him. You surrender to him. You say, here, take my life, Lord. Forgive my sins. What? Forgive your sins? He's the only one that can. He'll wipe them away. Just like you've never sinned. He said, I will remember your sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, God is saying that to you, sinner. I'm talking to myself, and we all are. Every person in this room. Well, I got saved 20 years ago, Pastor. I don't sin anymore. Come talk to me, please. (laughs) John says, if we say we have no sin, we are a liar, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This church has a couple that are uh, working in North Africa, They uh, are just a wonderful couple. I've known them. I met them years ago when I worked in a hospital. Um, They were up at Forest Home. But they work among a group of people called the Berbers. Now, those of you that are into interior design, you know about Berber rugs. Those are the indigenous people of North Africa, Tunisia. They have had the gospel for 2,000 years because believers came from that night that the Holy Spirit fell on the church from that part of the world. And they have old prophets, old pastors, and they call them holy men. Don't be put off by that. That's just their term. But they have a very famous story that you can find easily. But one of their holy men, we'll close with this, one of their holy men was walking in the desert one night because it's so blistering hot in Tunisia, you don't walk during the day. And he was traveling through the desert, starry night, no moon, could not see very well, found himself in a stream bed. And as he walked, suddenly a voice said, stop. And he did, and he thought he was going to be robbed. Then the voice said, reach down, and take a handful of stones at your feet and put them in your pocket. Which he did, because again, he thought he was about ready to be robbed. And the voice said, in the morning, you will be both sad and glad. Go your way. He went, what? So he starts walking, he makes a couple of zigzags in case somebody's following him. And he keeps walking till dawn. And then at dawn, he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a handful of uncut diamonds. And he remembered the voice. You will be sad that you didn't grab two handfuls (laughs) and glad because you got at least one. The same is true about God's word. When all is said and done, you will be both sad and glad for your time spent in God's word. Would you stand, please, and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord.
that you have given truth to us in your word. And it continues to grow. Even here this morning, faith comes by hearing. Lord, we're so thankful that you have given us a compass, a sextant, to find our way through this troubling storm called life. Remind us, Lord, to seek you and your word every day. And Lord, we pray for any here this morning that don't believe in you, that came here this morning not trusting you. Pray that you would speak to them right now. Give them grace. Show them that you love them and forgive them. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this morning, maybe you're visiting for the first time. Maybe you're like I was talking about. You came in an atheist. We want to send you home full of the Spirit of God. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you're ready to spend your life with Him and surrender your life to Him, would you let me know that that's your condition by looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't do anything to embarrass you. I'll just acknowledge it. God bless you, young lady. Anyone over here got to speak to? Young couple? Yes. God bless you. Anyone over here? Yes. On the aisle? Lady? Yes. God bless you. And you, sir? Anyone over here that I'm missing? Yes, sir. Smartest thing you ever did. If I miss your hand, don't worry, God didn't. Those of you that raised your hands, would you please talk to God with us? We're going to do it with it with you to make it easy. We're going to ask him to forgive our sins and take our lives, which is a good prayer for all of us to pray. But join us. Everybody, please say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you who raised your hands, we'd encourage you to go over to these double doors to my left, or to my right, your left. Some of our elders are there. We'd love to give you a Bible, pray for you. If you're sick, go there. If you need to leave, do. We're going to sing one more song together and worship the Lord. God bless you. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand I say my hope is good Builds on nothing less than Jesus' blood in righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest flame, but only lean on Jesus' name. You see, when darkness sinks, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace.
sand All other ground is sinking sand On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand Now may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. And may your life be so filled with the Holy Spirit that others look into your eyes and they say, what is that that's different? God bless you. Give somebody a hug before you go home.